All right, I think everyone has a handout now. We are in still 1 Peter 1, 1 through uh, verses 20, excuse me, uh, verses 20 through 25, the last portion of that. And last week, uh, we covered verses 22 and 23. Is that right? Or am I getting ahead of myself? That's right. 22 and 23. Okay. No. Uh, we ended oh, it 21. Ended in 21. 21. That's right. Okay. All right. So you should have, does everybody have uh, page 12 today? Page what? Excuse me. It's 12 on mine. It's beginning in verse 22. He is number 22. Okay. We'll be starting out with verse 22 this morning. And I'll have Laura, if you'll read for us, verses 22 through 25. You were cleansed from your sins when you obeyed the truth. So now you must show sincere love to each other as brothers and sisters. Love each other deeply with all your heart. For you have been born again, but not to a life that will quickly end. Your new life will last forever because it comes from the eternal living word of God. As the scriptures say, people are like grass. Their beauty is like a flower in the field. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And that word is the good news that was preached to you. All right. Sorry I got disoriented there right at the beginning. But yeah, we're beginning in verse 22 today. I just had the wrong sheet here before me. And uh, so last week is what we did. We looked at Jesus and noticed that He was foreordained before the foundation of the world. He was God's elect. And we are elect in God's elect. Jesus is elect and we are elect in Him. So from eternity past, He was chosen by God that was the eternal decree that he would come. It was actually the the covenant of redemption. That's what it's called a lot of times. And then that was before the foundation of the world, but he was made manifest in these last times for your sake. So we have God's decree from eternity past, and then in the fullness of the time, he sent his son Jesus Christ into the world. For our sake to save us. Through him we are believers in God. There's, that's the only way that you can believe in God is through Jesus Christ. Because if you don't come through Christ, you are an idolater. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. So we are believers in God through him and him only. And then we saw that he was raised from the dead. He, Jesus, uh, the Father raised him from the dead on the third day. And this was the beginning of a new era when Jesus Christ is risen from the dead that starts a whole new time frame. And that is a guarantee to everyone that, God, that Jesus will judge the world because he's been resurrected we will be resurrected and judged. Of course, the Christian has nothing to worry about. He has passed from death to life. 
and he does not come into judgment. He will be acquitted. This judgment will be not guilty. So God raised him from the dead. God gave him glory. Jesus was glorified by his resurrection and ascension into heaven and his coronation at the right hand of God. And uh, it says, so that our faith and hope are in God. And only the Christian can really justify his faith and hope. His system of belief can be justified because all of these witnesses that we're talking about that saw Jesus raised from the dead, we have ample proof that Jesus was born, that he lived, that he was crucified, dead, he rose again the third day. Our faith and our hope are justifiable. Unbelievers cannot justify any any of their system of belief. But we have plenty of, just, of uh, evidence for our justification. And that brings us up to date to today. Um, anybody have anything? All right, now we've had verses 22 through 25 read. We'll see how far we get today. And in your notes, it says, Peter has already spoken of obedience in verses 2 and 14. So he starts out verse 22, having purified your souls by obedience to the truth. So we see how important obeying the truth is. Back in verse 2, we read that according to the foreknowledge of God the Father and the sanctification of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ. Um, <clears throat> that is, we obedience to the gospel. We heard the gospel. These Christians here that Peter was writing to, they heard the gospel. They repented and they believed, which is what they are commanded to do. And then in verse 14... We read of obedience there again where Peter says as obedient children or literally children of obedience. So Christians are the ones who have obeyed the gospel. Non-Christians are the ones that have rejected the gospel. So Peter says you have obeyed the truth. So there is a twofold effect of these people obeying the truth. One is purification of the soul and the other is brotherly love. Brotherly love. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Now Christ says, or Peter says, you have purified your souls. Alright, let's take a minute here and see exactly what he's talking about, about Christians purifying their souls. Um, let's have 1 John 1, uh, 7 through 9, I believe it is, read. Value. You can go ahead and read that when you get to it. First John 1, 7 through 9, I believe it is. But if we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. 
If we say we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all righteousness. All right. We have here in verse 7, it says, The blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us or purifies us from all sin. And then we have in verse 9, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us or to purify us from all unrighteousness. So Christians have been purified or cleansed by the blood of Jesus Christ. And we see that Peter has called this the precious blood of Jesus Christ uh, that has uh, redeemed us. Now, we in our natural state, we are in a state of uncleanness according to what John says here. And then we're purified. We're made clean. Now remember back in Leviticus, when we studied Leviticus, there are three states of man, or objects. There is unclean or profane. There is the common, or clean. And then there's holy. So before a person comes to Jesus Christ, they are profane before God. They are unclean before God. They are unfit to have any fellowship with God. Now remember, where God dwells in heaven, it is holy. When God was on the mountain with Moses, the mountain was holy. Everything surrounding God was holy. In the tabernacle, in the holy of holies, in the most holy place, things were holy. In the temple, we have all around God. God is holy. All around him is holy. And now in the new covenant temple on us, we are holy. So, you have the unclean and you have the holy, and they can never meet. So, unbelievers, unclean people, people that are profane, can never have any fellowship with God. They are far off. But now, when the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin, we, that shows that we are in a clean state. We go from profane to clean. Okay? And then, in verse 2 of 1 Peter, we read that we are sanctified in the, by the Spirit. We're a sanctification of the Spirit. So the Holy Spirit sanctifies us. It makes us holy. And so then we can have fellowship with God. So we see here that we have purified our souls by obedience to the truth. The blood of Jesus Christ brings us from a profane state to a clean state. And then the Holy Spirit brings us from that clean state to a holy state. You can't go from profane to clean. You have to stop, become clean first. And so that's how our souls are purified by obeying the truth. They're made clean by the blood of Christ and then we are sanctified. We are made holy. We are set apart to God by the Holy Spirit. So that's how our souls are purified. Yes? So I was, <coughs> I was <coughs> excuse me, I was thinking this only had to do with sanctification and not justification, but you're saying that it's both. Yeah. Um, because there's obedience 
You have to be justified before you're sanctified. Right. But I thought this was talking about sanctification. Well, that is. But I was just explaining how we were brought from the unclean estate to the clean, just to show you the states that we have been brought to by the triune God. Yeah, I thought because obedience was involved, that's the sanctification. Well, the obedience to the truth here, according to the best commentators, is that we obeyed the gospel, repenting of our sins, because we're commanded to repent, and we're commanded to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, 1 John 3.23. So the idea of both is here, you can't separate justification from sanctification. They're distinct, but you can't separate them. Yeah, he's talking basically about sanctification here. Okay. Somebody say something? Okay. Purified our souls by obedience to truth. Okay. Now, so this can also, the word for purified here can also have a ceremonial reference. That's why I brought up the Levitical priesthood. In the Levitical priesthood, in the Levitical order of things, anything that's unclean or polluted first had to be cleansed. And they're brought into that state. Then the vessels or the priest or whatever could be sanctified, set apart for use by God. But having a knowledge of Leviticus can help you better understand what Peter is talking about here. We are now fit to have fellowship with God. By the grace of God, we've been brought from a state of unclean to a state of cleanness and finally to a state of holiness. So we are holy. We are holy people. We're holy to the Lord. The Holy Spirit dwells in us and sanctifies us. Each one of us are a holy temple to the Lord. All right, so we've been saved and Peter states that this is for a sincere brotherly love. Um, there is one and only one way of cleansing or purifying, obeying the truth. If you don't repent of your sins and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, then you are polluted. You are unfit for any fellowship with God. You come through Jesus Christ or you don't come. Okay, we've been saved and Peter states that this is for a sincere brotherly love. Now Peter was with Jesus when Jesus told the apostles how important this is. Let's have John 13, 34, and 35 read for us. Peter was in the presence of Jesus when Jesus spoke these words. A new commandment I give to you that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love one another. Alright. The apostles and us are commanded to love one another. And Jesus 
tells them that this is how people will know you're my disciples, if you have love for one another. So Peter is talking about a sincere brotherly love. Turn to 1 Corinthians 13. And the problems that the Corinthians were having are not totally foreign to us or any church. The Apostle Paul is saying if anyone speaks in tongues, but they don't have love, all they're doing is making noise. Making noise. That's all they're doing. Irritating noise. Like a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. Or as the King James says, a tinkling system symbol. Okay. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, if you know everything, if you know everything but you don't have love, you're nothing. And then he says, even if I deliver my body to be burned, even if I become a martyr, and even if I have faith that can move mountains, but I have not love, I gain nothing. So Paul is saying, it doesn't matter what you do in the church. If you don't do it with love, it's nothing. It's a waste. You might as well not do it. Let's have 1 John three sixteen through 18 read. We know love by this, that he laid down his life for us. We ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. For whoever has the world's goods and sees his brother in need and closes his heart against him, how does the love of God abide in him? Little children, let us not love with word or with tongue, but in deed and truth. All right. Uh, this is love, that he laid down his life for us. And then these words here. We ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. Okay, now, that's pretty tough, isn't it? You think you could lay your life down for anybody in this church? Say that again. Do you think you could lay down your life for anybody in this church? Everybody in this church? In the church. Any one individual? Yeah. Some might be harder than others. <laughs> it says we need we ought to be able to lay down our lives for the brothers. It, he does say the brothers, so it would be somebody in the church. <sighs> That's pretty tough, isn't it? That is tough. Alright. But verse 18 says, Little children, let us not love in word or talk. Oh, uh, verse 17, excuse me. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees this brother in need yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? God knows us all too well. We're probably, if the time came, yeah, we probably could. We were really super Christians. But the fact that we are hesitant to lay our lives down for somebody else in this church, well, maybe we're not ready. Maybe we need to work on it little by little. And John seems to be saying that if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need yet closes his heart to him, how does God's love abide in him? Well, true. Maybe none of us could lay down our lives for the brothers. But we can start preparing for it by giving each other what they need. 
In this case, John says, giving, well, giving him whatever he needs. Don't close your heart to him. You start by doing little things for your brothers and sisters in Christ. And once you can do little things for them, then you can start doing bigger things for them. So if you're afraid that you're not going to be able to show sincere love for the brethren, you start just by doing little things. And then if you're called on to make a supreme sacrifice, you know, you would be in better condition to do that. Turn to Luke chapter, excuse me, Acts chapter 2. The early church practiced this very well. Beginning in verse 42, Acts 2, 42. Now these are, this is really the first thing that happens that uh, Luke talks about after Peter's sermon at Pentecost. So he's talking about the first day of the church, from the first day of the church. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and prayers. And all came upon every soul. That should be translated, and fear came upon every soul. And many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and, belong, and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all who had, as they had need. So we see that they were in the doing what John prescribes for the church, for people to be ready to show the supreme love they have for their brothers. They make sure that each other was taken care of. This is not teaching communism. It's all voluntarily. They loved one another. They were even going to the point of selling their possessions to help their brothers and sisters that were in need. They understood this. They understood that you start with the little things, help out your brothers and sisters, and then you will be able to show any kind of love you are called forth to show. But that's the way God wants us to live in the churches. Purify our souls by believing the truth, and then we love our brothers and sisters earnestly from a pure heart. Anybody have anything to add to that? Maybe we're not quite as mature as we thought, right? I know I'm not. <laughs> I start feeling good about myself, and then I read something like this, and I say, uh oh. You know, get in touch with reality. Okay. So, we're to have a sincere love for the brethren. And John and Paul tell us how to do it. According to Cleon Rogers in his um, ex, ex, his um, exegetical um, commentary of the New Testament exegetical not commentary <clears throat> a 
forget the name of the I forget the name of the book. Linguistic key. Linguistic key, yeah, to the New Testament. Thank you. I thought I'd be able to remember that. But he says this is in the imperative. <clears throat> and the verb indicates a sense of urgency. Because the time's coming. The time's coming where they're going to have to be laying down their lives for their brothers because of persecution. So it is an imperative, and the verb form indicates a sense of urgency. And it needs to be from a pure heart. All right, now, any notes? They are capable of this since they have been born again. Verse 23 says, Since you have been born again, or born from above, it can be translated either way, but anyway, it's born of God, born of the Spirit. This, of course, comes through the Word of God. The text says, Having since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding Word of God. And I put the word for word down there because in verse 25 we're going to see something different from this. The word is logos, or logu. This is in the genitive case. Uh, so logos is the same word for word as the Apostle John uses in John 1.1, which says, In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. Now, there's another word for Word, and we're going to get that word later. Okay. But this one is Lagos, or Lagu. Now, again, it reminds us that it's not of perishable, but of imperishable, which reminds us of verse 18, knowing that you were ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but of imperishable. And that's done by the Word of God, Logos of God. All right, in John 1, 13, we read that also that this doesn't come by our own efforts. So turn to John chapter 1. And Jill, I'm going to have you read. Let me find it here. John 1, 12 through 14. But as many as received him, to them he, came, he gave the right to become children of God, to those who believe in his name, who were born not of uh, blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory. The glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. How far? Oh, yeah, that's it. Alright, we learn from John 13 in your notes. The Spirit and the Word cause us to be born again. Usually the Spirit working through the Word is a normal way. You hear the Word of God preached or you read the Word of God in the Bible 
and the Holy Spirit gives you a new heart, causing us to be born again. We don't do it ourselves. Notice in John 1.13 that was just read to us that we are born not of the will of man, but of God. Just as you aren't born physically by yourself, you ought to say, okay, I think I'm going to be born today. Neither are you born spiritually by your own efforts. And the doctrine that that is teaching here is our total inability. We are totally incapable of pleasing God in any way on our own. And certainly not capable of causing our own spiritual birth. So total inability. You can't do it yourself. But we are born again through the living and abiding Word of God. Okay, the gospel is God's seed. Uh, and we learn in the, um, pure, in, the, in the parable of the sower that the gospel is God's seed. It's the word of God. We can only sow this seed. God determines the results. We can only throw it out on the soil. And some of it will land on good soil. Some of it will not land on good soil. So it depends on God what kind of soil he prepares for us. We don't feel bad if we don't have anybody coming to Christ by our own efforts. It's up to the Holy Spirit. And here, Peter quotes Isaiah 46 through 8. All flesh is like grass and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers, the flower falls, but the word of our Lord remains forever. Men are for a moment. The greatest person on earth is only for a moment. The greatest man that ever lived is only for a moment. He is compared here to grass and flowers which normally last only a few days or a few weeks. But our word, but the word of the Lord remains forever. Okay, now, in verse 25... Peter tells us this word is the good news that was preached to you. So in verse 25, the Greek word there is rhema. It's not logos, it's rhema, which is like the spoken word, the written word. It doesn't refer to Jesus Christ as being the word of God. This would be the Holy Scriptures or the preaching. And it abides forever. And we are told in these verses that God's word quickens or makes alive, that God's word is incorruptible, that God's word abides forever. What was that like? Uh, the, in the in word rhema in contrast abides forever. And next week we will finish this up. I have one or two little things more to say about the end of chapter 1. And then we will get into chapter 2. Anybody have anything to add? Well, I have a question. Okay, so you said in verse 23, through the word of God, that one is Logos. Mm -hmm. And then the same 
word. Yeah, that's N25, right. which is in there twice. That's Rhema? Yeah, Rhema. Okay. So in 23, through the word of God, what was, how is that different than the Logos in John 1? John 1, they capitalize it because they're speaking about Christ. Why, why couldn't this be Christ? You have to ask Peter. Because, okay. <laughs> I mean, they are talking about no, earlier about Christ, you know, living in now, why it, incorruptible. So you're wondering why they use the Logos there and it's different from the Logos 1 1. Yeah, well, I wonder yeah. too why. Yeah. Are yeah. they capitalized? Or they, they, well, there's no capitalization in the Greek. Um, right, so yeah. it's the, the translators are doing it. Make it yeah, if I would have translated it, the word, uh, as word in verse 23, and I would uh, say either scriptures or preaching in, or in verse 25. Um, I don't know, maybe I shouldn't even have pointed that out, but just know that there is a difference in what Peter says. Uh, he says, you have been born again by the word. Logos, and then by Rhema. <laughs> Rhema was the good news. Um, in fact, it says it in the verse that the word, right. this word, Rhema, is the good news that was preached to you. So it would be the preaching of the word. Right. That's about the best I can do. What are the, what are the last blanks? Okay. The gospel is God's uh, God's, hold on, let me find this seed. Because okay. you remember the, the sower throws out the seed. And then at the bottom, in verse 25, the word abides forever. All right, we'll have Mike to pray for us today. Our Father in heaven.